Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. All right, we're going old school tonight. Get the handheld. Go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15 to get a head start on where we'll be tonight. So let us go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. We pray for understanding. We pray for fresh insight. I pray, Father, that you'll help me to rightly divide your word of truth. So I do pray for a fresh filling of your spirit. And I pray that I would decrease and you increase, Father, and Lord, once again, we ask that you would be lifted up, Lord, that you would have your way. May you fill us, Lord, with your wisdom, fill us with your peace, fill us with your joy. Lord, do a mighty work in us and through us all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 15, and we do have a title like we normally do on Wednesday nights. And the title, once again, comes in the form of a question. And the title is, What Are You Sparing Against God's Will? What are you sparing against God's will? Now, many of us live in households where there are people who like to hold on to things. So they like to gather things, things that should be thrown away. They continue to hold on to them, even when there's a spring cleaning day. There's a few things that they try to spare and hide from their mates. Some even hold on to things they've been told to get rid of. Especially if you're a child, you've been told to get rid of an old toy and you still want to hold on to it. You spare that toy for whatever reason. Maybe it has sentimental value to it, but you hold on to something that should not have been spared, something that should have gotten rid of. Or maybe it's been agreed upon between husband and wife that, hey, we're going to get rid of this, okay? And so there's an agreement there, but yet and still, one of the mates, they hold on to that item. They hold on to that picture, whatever it may be. But as we talk about this, this is one of the reasons that Uh, moving from one residence to another is beneficial, at least for me. Of course, we don't like packing. We don't like uh, picking up those heavy boxes and moving those those large items in the house and moving them to the truck or whatever, especially out here when it's just extremely hot, especially in the summertime. We don't like doing those things. But but one reason I find that moving is is beneficial, especially moving from one residence to another, is that it's an opportunity for me to get rid of junk. And my wife knows that I don't like junk. We have a junk drawer, and I'm upset about having the junk drawer at home in the kitchen. As a matter of fact, my father-in-law, who stays with us, he was laughing because I was was making the junk drawer look neat and organized because I just don't like junk. I believe that everything has a place. And so it's an opportunity for me to get rid of junk moving from one residence to another because some people, they take their junk to the new house, get to the new house, and then throw it away there from the new house. It doesn't make sense to me. 
And so sometimes we hold on to things. We spare things that we should have gotten rid of. But when we talk about God, the question is, what doesn't God want us to spare? And what happens when we do spare those things that he wants us to get rid of? What happens? And so tonight we're going to be once again in 1 Samuel chapter 15. And we're going to use this chapter as a springboard to get to where God wants us to get to in this lesson. And so we're going to take some spiritual principles and or nuggets that's what I like to call these spiritual principles I like to call them spiritual nuggets we're going to take them tonight and ask the Holy Spirit to help us to apply them to our lives when we leave this building and so in verse one and it is a long chapter and so I'll try my hardest not to touch on everything because I'm I'm one of those people I just feel like I have to say something about every single verse and so I have to rely on the Holy Spirit to tell me no not not now you can hold on to that and so 35 verses I believe and so we're going to zoom through this but I'll try not to talk too fast so in verse 1 it says Samuel also said to Saul the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people over Israel now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord and so here we see that Saul had a position and he had a responsibility uh, that the Lord gave to him therefore of course it would make sense for Saul to listen to the Lord. He got his position from the Lord. He got this responsibility of being king from the Lord. So at least, at the very least, he could listen to the Lord. But it's the same way for us as well. Because the Lord also has chosen us. The Lord has also given us a position. The position, number one, as a child of God. And as a child of God, as a believer, as a member of the bride of Christ, the church, not, not only do we have that position, but we also have a responsibility. And the responsibility is spelled out by none other than Jesus Christ, the second member, the second person of the Trinity, of the triune God. And our responsibility is to be light and to be salt. And so because, like Saul, we are given a position and responsibility, we too should be listening to the Lord. But we should be listening to him on a daily basis. Let's take a look at verses 2 and 3. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, or the Lord of armies, or the heavenly armies. He says, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly or completely destroy all that they have and do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. And so if you are a note taker, I want you to write down Exodus chapter 17 verses 8 through 16, because that's where you're going to find details about this situation when Amalek or the Amalekites attacked the Israelites as they came up from slavery from Egypt. And so in that situation in Exodus 17, 
verses 8 through 16, you'll, you'll see that Joshua had led a group of men in the fight against the Amalekites or against Amalek. And Amalek, by the way, was a descendant of Esau, who was Jacob's brother. And remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So these are like some distant relatives of the Israelites. But Amalek or the Amalekites attacked the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. And Joshua led the charge in fighting against them. And Joshua, the scriptures tell us in Exodus 17, was successful in battle as long as Moses held up his hands. And when his hands got tired, the, the Bible tells us that Aaron held up one side and another man named Hur, H-U-R, held up the other side. And Joshua and the Israelites defeated the Amalekites that day. And that was hundreds of years ago from the point of this lesson. And then if you look in Exodus 17, 14, it says, then the Lord said to Moses. So this is after Joshua's victory over the Amalekites. He says, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. And Joshua was Moses's assistant. He says that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And so now you see in this lesson that it is payday against Amalek as the Lord told Saul to punish Amalek for what he did to Israel. And, and, and the Lord told Saul that through his prophet Samuel. And so ultimately, vengeance and judgment belong to the Lord. However, he can use man to execute it. And so he was using Saul, the king of Israel and the Israelites to execute his judgment against the Amalekites that he promised hundreds of years ago because of what they did to the Israelites on their way out of Egypt. But but some people will take issue with this, take issue with what it says in verse three to to kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey, all of these that belong to Amalek or the Amalekites. Some will take issue to that. And it's and it's hard to to read and and understand. But but we need to understand certain things about the Lord. And the first thing we need to understand is that God knows all things. So he knows not just what's going to happen, but he also knows the possibilities of choices that people could make. He knows the results, the consequences of those choices that people could make, but won't necessarily make. God knows everything. And so God knew that these people, this people group would infect others with their sinful, with their evil lifestyle. Especially, he, he knew that they would infect his people, the Israelites, there was just so much evil going on. And they had, again, hundreds of years to repent. And so once, once we understand that God knows all things, that helps to settle the matter a, a little bit for us. But in reality, God doesn't have to answer to any of us. But that's one point I wanted to make, that God knows all things, that he knew that they would infect others. But also understand that God keeps his promises. So when we look at what he tells them to do in verse three and just wiping everybody out, even their animals, 
We need to understand that God keeps his promises because remember that God told Abraham, who was the forefather of the Israelites. Remember, he told him that I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And so God is a promise keeper. And so that's another reason God is going to wipe out Amalek. Then, of course, we need to understand that God is holy, uh, and, and that means that he is separate. He is a pure God who is totally separate from sin. Not only is he holy, but God is just. He is fair, and, and he always does what is morally right. And God, being a just judge, has to deal with sin. I mean, you would even think that about a human judge, that if a human judge doesn't deal with a person breaking the law that with a murderer taking the life of someone in this world, of another human being. You would think that that judge, that human judge is unjust, but God is not that way. He is a just judge, always doing what is morally right, especially when he deals with man. Therefore, he must deal with sin. He must deal with sin. And here in this lesson tonight, we see that he is dealing with it and he's using King Saul or wants to use King Saul and the Israelites that he's that Saul is ruling over. So he's dealing with sin. And what's funny is that some people who like to take issue with God for for scriptures like this, you know, some of those same people will say, why doesn't God deal with the evil in this world? Why doesn't God just wipe out all the the evil folks and and, and just all the the evil that's going on? But then when he does it and we see it in the scriptures, we complain about it. But here is an example of him dealing with sin. But also, I want to point this out. The people who ask that question, what they need to consider is that if he did that immediately when they wanted him to, then they will be wiped out, too. And praise God, I wasn't wiped out before August of 1997 because that's the year and the month I got saved at the age of 18. And so he is dealing with evil. And so Saul gathered in verse 4, he gathered the people, he gathered the troops together, and he numbered them into Laam, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek, and he lay wait, or he set up an ambush in the valley. And then in verse 6, it says, Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And so one thing I want to point out is that Moses' father-in-law and his wife were Kenites. And the scriptures tell us here, and Saul points out, that they have shown kindness to Israel, to, to the Israelites in the past. And so Saul gave them an opportunity to get away from the Amalekites who were about to be dealt with. They're about to be destroyed. And I appreciate that Saul did this. Saul did a lot of things that were not right, but this is something right that he did. And telling them to get away before you be destroyed along with these evil people. 
And I appreciate what Saul did because it goes along with God's pattern of not destroying the righteous with the wicked. You can look through the scriptures and you'll never see God destroy the righteous with the wicked. And therefore, here we we, we do believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. We do believe in the saints being raptured. Before the tribulation period, because during the tribulation period, that is God pouring his wrath upon an unbelieving world, upon a Christ rejecting world. And he does not punish the righteous with the wicked. And we're not righteous. The church is not righteous because of doing anything right. No, no, we're we're righteous because we have the righteousness of Christ imputed into our spiritual account. And that happens when we repent and put our faith in Christ. We are declared righteous. It is a positional righteousness, which we call justification. So when you see the word justified or justification in the scripture, just think that, oh, I am justified. I am declared righteous. In other words, I have a right standing with God because of my faith in Christ. And it's a gift from God. It is grace, not something that we've earned. And so the righteousness, once again, that's put into our spiritual account is the righteousness of Christ. And so not only are we declared righteous, we we are also treated. We are treated as, as if we've never sinned because he looks upon us as if we did everything right, just like Christ did. Because remember, it's Christ's righteousness put into our spiritual account. Oh, what an awesome deal that we have as believers Jesus took our sins upon himself. He suffered the punishment for our sins. He died in our place. And in return, by faith in him, we get his righteousness put into our account. And so when God sees us, he sees us holy. He sees us righteous. He sees us as if we've never sinned. And that is our position. But now we go through sanctification. Now we have to live it out. In other words, we have to become in our daily lifestyles what we are in position. And so that's where we are right now. We are in a process of sanctification. And so these people, these Kenites, they they showed kindness to the Israelites. And so this pattern of not destroying the righteous with the wicked, you know, I can't even see this. In the New Testament as well. And so in this New Testament, I I can see a similar message that Saul gave to the Kenites. The similar message I see in in Acts chapter 2, verse 40, as Peter is teaching or preaching on the day of Pentecost. He tells people to be saved from this perverse generation. So that was similar to me to what Saul told the Kenites. Get away from the Amalekites because they're about to be destroyed. And the church, that's the message we carry today. We're telling people to, 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 hey, be saved from this perverse generation. Now, we don't want to see people go to hell. But if they go there, it's because they choose to. And perverse, you could think of the word crooked. It's a crooked generation that we are in the midst of. And we, are, we're, we're, we all were in the middle of that perverse or crooked generation. But, but praise God, as believers, we're saved from that at this point. Now, it says in verse 8 that he also took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. 
But Saul and the people or the troops, they they spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs and all that was good. And they were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. And, And so we know from the scriptures, if you keep reading through the scriptures, we know that he did not completely destroy the Amalekites. Although it says he utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Well, Darrell, how do you know that? Well, for one, he kept their king alive. He kept Agag alive. And then number two, David would end up fighting the Amalekites later in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And then, ironically enough, an Amalekite will end up taking credit for killing Saul in 2 Samuel. So he didn't utterly kill them all. But it's more likely that he killed the Amalekites that he found. He killed the Amalekites that he was aware of, not every single one that existed at that time. But overall, as we see the scriptures here, we we see that Saul and the army were disobedient. And when when you talk about their disobedience, notice that they acted on their unwillingness. And so their disobedience stemmed from their unwillingness to do what God wanted them to do. They were unwilling to destroy what they saw was good. But as we continue in 1 Samuel 15, verse 10, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. And so when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet or to confront Saul, it was told Samuel saying that Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself, most likely to commemorate his victory. And he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. And so you wonder, based on this scripture here in verse 11, where it says that God greatly regrets that he set up Saul as king. You, some people wonder, well, did God make a mistake? I thought God never made a mistake. No, it's not saying that God messed up. Because, because we know that God from eternity, first of all, he knew that Israel was going to want a king. And I know that because God knows all things. He's an eternal God. But also there are scriptures prior to the book of Samuel where God made preparations for a king. So he knew ahead of time that, number one, they were going to want a king. But he chose Saul as the first king from eternity. But Saul was the king the people wanted. And so they wanted a king. You wanted the, 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 the king that the rest of these people have? Okay, this is the king you're going to get. You're going to get Saul. So God decided all of that from eternity so he didn't mess up. And he also knew that Saul would be disobedient. And, and so that's why you read even scriptures before this, some prophecies about the Messiah coming through the tribe of Judah. Well, remember, Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin. But even before the book of Samuel, he talked about this Messiah coming from from Judah. And David, of course, King David is from the tribe of Judah. And so from eternity, God knew that all of this was going to happen. But this is what happens. 
So those things are planned from eternity. God knows what's going to happen from eternity. But now we see in this example here that that God is going through the experience with uh, uh, Israelites and the and Samuel. He going through it now with them in time. And so you have the plans and what he knows in eternity. But then you come up to the moment in time. And he experiences these things with the people as they're going through it. And so in time, he is expressing his feelings about Saul being king at this point. And then Samuel in verse 13, he went to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And so he's using this religious language, but but he's not serving the Lord. And there's people like that today who use religious language, but are really not serving the Lord. But Samuel said, "Okay, so you perform the commandment of the Lord. Then what then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? I, I can hear the sheep. They're making noises and the lowing of the oxen. I hear these things. And and Saul said they have brought them. From the Amalekites for the people or the troops, they spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet and I will tell you what the Lord has said to me last night. And Saul said to him, speak on, go ahead. And so Samuel said, when you were little. When you were unimportant in your own eyes, were you not made head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king of Israel over Israel? And now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And so Saul, King Saul, he he started in a position of humility, but now he has become big in his own eyes. He begins to do his own things and, and to be disobedient to the Lord. And many people start this way. They start off humble and they get what they want and the Lord raises them up and then they go off and start doing their own thing. Now, just like Saul. So, yes, yeah, Saul did it. Other people doing it. How about us? Where are we with this? We started off in humility, but are we still there? Are we still listening to the Lord? Are we still being obedient to the Lord? Are we proud or are we humble? And Saul said to Samuel in verse 20, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the troops took the plunder the sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice to the Lord, your God and Gilgal. Notice he tells Samuel, your God, not his God, not his personal God. Verse 22, so Samuel said, has the Lord as great delight or take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And he says, behold, to obey is better than sacrificing to heed or to listen is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft or as bad as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as serious or as bad as iniquity and idolatry. 
And because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. And so the scriptures show us here in verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15 that doing good or religious things does not replace obedience to the Lord. You know, there are people who are unbelievers. There there are people who are walking in a sinful lifestyle. They're living a sinful lifestyle. And they think that giving a bunch of money in the offering box or in the love, you know, the the box there, the agape box, we, that's what we call it here. They think that doing those things or, or, or giving to charities or doing a bunch of good things at church, they, they think that's going to that's get them out of being obedient to the Lord. But being religious, doing religious things will, will never replace obedience to the Lord. And it teaches us that in 1 Samuel 15, verse 22. And so we get that principle there. And so also in verse 23, we see that. That not only has Saul's family line been rejected by God from becoming a dynasty, but but Saul also personally has been rejected from being king. And so you're going to see this downward spiral spiral as we continue to go through uh, the book of 1 Samuel. But in verse 24, it says, then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people. And obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon, please forgive my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge or the hem of his robe and it tore. And so Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. Of course, he's referencing King David. And also the strength or the glory of Israel's reference to God. He will not lie nor relent. He will not change his mind. In other words, for he is not a man that he should relent, that he should change his mind. And so God, the God we serve, the God of the Bible is a reliable God. He's not like man that he should lie. He's not like man that he should change his mind. And so Saul, King Saul needed to know that God isn't going to change his mind about what he said about him not being king any longer. And then he said in verse 30, Oh, I have sinned, yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel, and return with me that I may worship the Lord once again, your God. And so Samuel turned back after Saul, and Saul worshipped or bowed down, to the Lord. So why does Samuel change his mind and turn and go with Saul? We don't know for sure. But could it be that he was responding to Saul's admission of sin? Or maybe he went back to correct Saul's mistake. I think that second reason is at least a valid reason, at least a main reason here, because in verse 32, as we continue, it says, then Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Amalekites here to me. And so Agag came to him cautiously and Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. The New Living Translation says, Agag arrived full of hope for he thought surely the worst is over and I have been spared. Another translation, the CSB, for example, says, 
Agag came to him trembling, for he thought, certainly the bitterness of death has come. And so you get these different wordings here, but one thing for sure is that Agag is about to be put to death. Because in verse 33, it says, but Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And then Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul or never again visited him until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. So Samuel has such high hopes for Saul. And therefore, we see here that he mourned for him. And really, this is the attitude we all should have for anyone who fails due to sin in their lives. You know, somebody who's in leadership in a, in a church or a leadership anywhere, if they fail or fall because of sin in their lives, because of a sinful situation, that's not something to, to gloat about. That's not something to applaud. That's not something to make fun of. We should all grieve. We should all be uh, mournful about something like that happening. We should all have this heart of Samuel. And so we see in this lesson tonight that Saul and the people, the troops, in other words, they, they made this mistake of sparing some things. They, they spared King Agag and they, they spared some things, some animals that they felt was good in their eyes. They spared things that were supposed to have been put to death or totally destroyed, according to verse 3 in 1 Samuel chapter 15. But, but what about us? Because we have to look in the mirror as well. We have to look at us. Do we do things like that? And I would suggest to you that we too tend to hold on to areas of the flesh. We, we too tend to hold on to sinful activities that we feel are precious to us, that we feel are too good to get rid of, that we feel are too fun to throw away. We, we think it can't, it can't hurt us to keep it. Nobody's going to know it. It feels so good. It feels so fun to us. It is so beneficial to us. We lie to ourselves. We tell ourselves that. And so we hold on to these areas of the flesh, these sinful activities, just like the people in King Saul held on to some of the best, what they thought was the best of the Amalekites. Oh, some of us hold on to our King Agags, in other words. And so here in this lesson, we see that Amalek or the Amalekites have become a picture of the flesh. And what happens to us? What, or what happens, not just to us, what happens overall when we hold on to areas of the flesh? And so to get these answers, we, we can take some pointers from what we see here in this lesson. Because one of the things that happens when we hold on to the areas of the flesh, when, when we hold on to the king agags in our lives, in other words, when, when we hold on to uh, the best of the sheep or the oxen or the fatlings and lambs of the Amalekites or of our flesh, when we hold on to these pet areas, well, first of all, we come to understand that the Lord sees 
that he sees what we have done. Or just like the Lord saw what Saul had done. But then another thing that happens is that it gets us off course. It, it, it gets us off course from what? From following the Lord. When we hold on to the areas of our flesh. When we hold on to these pets, these um, King Agags of the Amalekites of our flesh. Because in verse 11, it says that Saul has turned back from following me. And so it gets us off course when we hold on to areas of our flesh, things that we ought to get rid of, things that we ought to annihilate or destroy. But also we see that people who look up to us, people who sometimes live with us, people who go to church with us, they they can also be led astray directly or indirectly because we see in verse 9 that, that, that the people were involved in this too. But if their leader wasn't involved in it, if their leader didn't give them the go-ahead or allow it to happen, then, then maybe it wouldn't have happened. And so what happens when we hold on to areas of our flesh? Yeah, we see that people are led astray even indirectly, but we also see that people can get hurt in the process. Oh, they look up to us and they find out that we're walking in sin, that we fell into some sin. Oh, they become disappointed. They become hurt, just like Samuel was hurt. Oh, he was grieved and he mourned for Saul. And so, so yeah, when we hold on to areas of our flesh that we ought to destroy, just like Saul should have destroyed the Amalekites, but he held on to some areas. When we see that happen, yes, people get hurt in the process. But we also see, this is point number five, that, that we won't be as effective as we could be in the work for God. You see, the work for God in this lesson was to deal with people that God wanted them to deal with. They were to be instruments of God's judgment. And Saul was to lead the charge. He was the king. And so he wasn't as effective. He let King Agag live. He, he let the people take the best of the animals to hold on to stuff that should have been destroyed. And, and, and because he wasn't as effective as he could have been. And because we sometimes, if we fall into sin, if we hold on to areas of our flesh, if we do that, we won't be as effective as we could have been either. And because of that, another may need to come in and finish what we didn't finish. Just like Samuel had to finish off Saul's work. He had to put King Agag to death. And it could be the same way with us. If, if we hold on to these areas of our flesh, we hold on to these pet areas of our Amalekite. Oh, then people may have to clean up our mess all because we weren't as effective as we could have been in finishing our part. But in reality, we're to do with our flesh what Saul was supposed to have done to the Amalekites. We're to put our flesh to death. And the scriptures tell us, I believe it's in Romans chapter six, that our old man has been crucified with Christ. 
And so the old us that was dominated by sin has been crucified by Christ. And we are a new creation. We are no longer, in essence, in slavery to sin. But, but some of us still live while like we're, we're in slavery to sin. Because we don't put our flesh to death. We don't reckon it to be so. Reckon is a, is a word of faith. By faith, we're not accepting it to be so that our old man has been crucified with Christ. The old us, once again, dominated by sin or by the sin nature. See, Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And it tells us to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. And so one way to deal with the flesh, to, to put the flesh to death, to put our Amalekite, so to speak, to death is to starve it. Don't make any provision for the flesh. Don't make plans to gratify, gratify the desires of our flesh or our sin nature. Now that sin nature in us, even as believers, you know, it is inclined to sin. But even as believers... But as believers, we, we have a new nature that comes from God. The sin nature we got from Adam. The only way to erase and to totally do away with the sin nature is when we get our glorified bodies. Then we won't sin anymore. We won't have that inclination to sin anymore. But as of now, in our non-glorified bodies, yes, we still have the sin nature to deal with. But we, we need to put our flesh to death. Don't make plans to gratify our sin nature how, Darrell, that, that by not dwelling on something in our thoughts, in our mind, planning on sinning, fantasizing about stuff we have no business fantasizing about, or even being in a physical position. Sometimes we physically have to remove ourselves from a situation or a group of people so we won't make any provision for our flesh. And so that's one way to deal with our flesh is to starve it. But also is, is to rely on the Holy Spirit. We cannot do any of this without relying on the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with our flesh, to help us to live victoriously over our sin nature. And so I like what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 13. It says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, notice this, by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So it is by the Holy Spirit that we put to death the deeds or the work of the body. And, our, and what we do with our bodies, the sin that we do with our bodies, is, is because we are given in to our sin nature. Those sin inclinations that we have, that we got from Adam. And so by the spirit, we can put to death the deeds of the body. Oh, Galatians 5.16, and this is the last scripture for the night. It says, I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You see, the Holy Spirit has different desires than our flesh, than our sin nature, and vice versa. And so if we walk in the spirit, if we're surrendering to the Holy Spirit, if we're living according to the ways of the Holy Spirit, walking according to the word of God, then, then we are doing the opposite of what our flesh wants to do. We're doing the opposite of what our sin nature wants to do. So it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that we'll truly be able to put to death our flesh to overcome our sin nature. As Matt comes to the stage, Matt, tonight is the worship team. And so there's one more final thought I'd like to leave you with.
And so, and so if there's nothing you remember tonight or that you get out of tonight, remember this. That when God says not to spare an area in our lives, not only does it please him when we obey, but notice this. When he tells us to not spare something in our lives, to not spare something of our flesh, when he tells us to get rid of it, yes, it pleases him. Once again, when we obey. But here's the other part that we don't realize, that it's also for our own good. When we get rid of what he wants us to get rid of, when we don't spare the things that he doesn't want us to spare. It's for our own good. If you want to truly enjoy a close fellowship with the Lord. Then we have to get rid of what he wants us to get rid of. And so if we don't remember anything else about chapter 15, let's take that with us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For who you are and what you are to us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord, we all have struggles. We all have areas of weaknesses. And so we ask for victory over our flesh. We ask you to help us, Lord, to not give in to temptation. Temptations will come. We'll be tempted, but the temptation is not the sin. It's falling into it. Giving into it is the sin. So help us to ignore the voice of the enemy. Help us to ignore the inclination of our sin nature, the, the flesh. And we can do it, Lord, because of your Holy Spirit who indwells us. And so, Lord, we do thank you for the victories that we have experienced thus far. And we thank you for the victories that are, the, that are to come as we surrender to you. And so, Lord, I pray that this week you'll bless your people, that you help us all to be more like Jesus, to put on Christ. We love you, Lord, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So thank you all for coming out tonight. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your attentiveness. And of course, we love you. May the Lord keep you safe. May the Lord use you in a mighty way this week. And if you're able to stand, please do as we continue to lift up the name of the Lord as we sing this last song. And if you need prayer, please come up for prayer afterwards. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church and how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.